countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Welcome to another episode of the Forgot My Dice Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the Shields. Shields! To my red alert, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Were they in red alert? Because the wave was hitting them. I don't think they had time for red alert in Star Trek Six, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my references, but those are both references to Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, Come on, the, Sulu yelling Shields is maybe one of They had to, like, turn, it, turn, turn her into the wave. <laughs> They did. I'm pretty sure they went into red alert the moment they hit shields. I think it's automatic. That would make sense. Hello, hello. I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> I can already see that we're going to be going deep into Star Trek lore today. No, no way. Well, we will we will explain why in just a little bit. But first, as always, we're going to kick this episode off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, and very soon, very, very soon, you will be helping us buy some new software. Because my five-year-old computer is... I'm retiring it. Robert, I can't upgrade it anymore, and it's just running like dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's time, it's time. I've got a new computer already ordered and on the way. This thing is a beast, so I cannot wait for it to get here. But uh, it means a switch in platform, which means I will need to be uh, perusing some new software uh, solutions. So thank you to our patrons over at Patreon, because you guys are helping make that a smooth transition. I I just want to say this. When I updated my system, I remember when I would export the podcast, when I would build the odd episode, because you usually handle that. Like, I could literally go make a sandwich and come back, <laughs> and it would usually be done, you know? It would take forever. Yeah. It took, uh, I did a really long episode once, and it took 12 minutes for it to spit it out. I remember that. that. Right. I remember that. And then I got my new laptop, and it takes, like, maybe two or three. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's It really is remarkable how quickly things can change. And, I mean, my laptop is only two years old, but looking at the jump in in stats from my laptop to my my new desktop is jaw dropping. And when you look at the difference in the the old desktop to the new desktop, I mean it's night and day. Yeah, yeah. I I just had to say that because I I remember I, I it's one of those things like it, you know your adult win. It's like you're excited that your podcast gets spit out or you know assembles i don't know what the word is for it but comes together in less than time podcast to fix. assemble yeah okay i'm rambling segment one go segment two go segment three go i have no response to that <laughs> come on it's, it's, it's damn near voltron come on come on <laughs> moving right along it's a day and that means that with the new podcast it's a special day and what is our special day of the week so everybody, happy National Love Your Red Hair Day. I have no red hair, and you have no red hair. Actually, oh, oddly enough, when I was a young man, uh, my, my dad is a ginger, and uh, was a ginger, I should say. He turned gray in his 20s. And when I was a younger man, my beard was actually bright orange. That makes sense. Yeah, I used to have a lot more red in my beard and my head hair, but it has grayed out over the last decade pretty fast. I have no color fast. left. Yeah, it's all gone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was cool. Like, you know, you'd see it in the sun and it was red, but now you just see it and it's just kind of this brownish gray. <laughs> I, just, I blame my children. <laughs> yeah. the life out of me. Yeah. So anyway, if you happen to have red hair, November 5th is your day. Woo! Gotta love days in November. You know I'm a big fan of days in November. <laughs> and uh, on social media, tag yourself with hashtag love your red hair day. Because it's my birthday month. Uh, that's true, true, true. Oh yeah, you have the same birthday as my, as my daughter. That's right. That's right. It's the best day of the year. Oh, Just for the love of God, children's parties, man. I am. I'm oh man, don't even get me so over it. I've had one combined party for the two olders, and I've got another one coming up for the two sixes, and then Amelia's first party coming up in February. So it's uh, yeah, I feel you, buddy. Yeah, I'm. I'm so. I'm so ready for this to be over. There's just too much stuff going on this week. By the way, if it's not November 5th when this actually comes out, because November 5th, that's the 5th of November. Oh, wow. Anyway, if it's not that date when this comes out, I apologize. It means the party's got the best of me and and we had a delay because of it. And I will apologize. And maybe if I'm real, real slick editing, Robert will jump in here and wish you a new happy day. Hey, everybody. Editing Robert here. So, yes, this came out a little late because of the birthday party. So, in light of that, please observe today, National Stress Awareness Day, which is the first Wednesday in November, and use the hashtag Stress Awareness Day on social media. You're supposed to use it to develop coping skills for anxiety, identify and let go of things you cannot change, exercise, eating a balanced diet, all the things that help you with stress. And now back to the show. I'm just surprised that you chose... National Red Hair Day, because, I mean, 5th of November has some pretty his- large historical significance. Hey, man, it's the National Day Day. I-, I had two choices, according to my source, and it was either red hair or donuts. And donuts seem too obvious, so I went with red hair. Yeah, but, I mean, that's that's when we have the gunpowder treason. Yeah, that's that's kind of overdone. That mask became a symbol of stuff, and it's not even a symbol well, of that anymore. It's, it, it, that, that ship has sailed, man. That ship has sailed. That is old news. That is not history's fault, okay? History happened way before entertainment media happened. Jonathan, I'm pretty sure on any given day, something really cool in history happened on every day of... Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's so, true. So, so lamenting that I didn't get one day from a movie that's... Hold on. V for Vendetta. For a movie that's 14 years old... I'm not doing it for the movie. I'm doing it for the history. You know that. I'll buy that for a dollar, to quote RoboCop. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, RoboCop. It's been too long. I need to watch it again. Uh, which one? The remake or the original? There was a remake? No. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up. I actually liked it. Shh. It, com- yeah. it completely the- fell apart in the third act. I mean, yes, it's, that's the problem. That is the problem. That's the problem. It, it asks some really genuinely good questions. And then instead of forcing a, a difficult answer, it was like, nah, I give up. We're just going to be spectacle. <laughs> Pretty much. Like the first two acts were actually brilliant. Yeah, they on, were. On par with the first, if not even better, because it's asking some more interesting questions given our current state of technology. I agree. But then the third act, it was like, they didn't just pull the punch. They they, they like reversed the tape and took the punch away altogether. It was just like a different movie. It was just like, yeah. and now for something completely different. It was like stuff. the Warcraft movie. It was like it was written by two different people and one of them was really talented and the other was a, was a, a, a pygmy monkey with an attitude problem and a Valium habit. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like uh, my favorite movie still of all time, uh, Robot Jocks. 
because yeah like that movie world builds really good and it's really yeah, it interesting and then it's just this b-movie script like taped on top of it and it's so weird because of it and a little 90s racist 80s racist a little bit whatever i think it was early 90s I think it was 91, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, early 90s racist. There's some some good old-fashioned, not a good portrayal of Texas. No, no, I stand corrected. 1989. Regardless, not a good portrayal of Texans in that movie. I'm just saying. God bless that movie for being so bad. Speaking of bad movies, I can't wait to get to the movie part because I watched it, buddy. Oh, I, I watched several, several. So, oh, I watched a lot of movies this last week. Me, me too. Weeks, but, uh, me too. But there's one in particular that you told me to rent, and I rented it. Oh, my. Was it The Keep? No, no. haven't been there yet. But this one was uh, very easy, and you insisted that I talk to it. So, look, I'm highlighting this sucker in red. Dude, let's, let's just go. Let's just go. Let's yeah. talk about it. Let's let's go there. But look, I, I've, I've I, I, I can see it. This is great radio. You're highlighting something in a, in, a do, in a Google Doc that only I can see, and you're telling me to keep it secret like it's a secret because our listeners can't hear us whispering right now. <laughs> One day you're going to send me edited files, and I'm just going to edit you all out, and it'll just be a podcast of me talking into nothing, kind of like Garfield minus Garfield. Some could say that's already kind of how the podcast is. It depends on how much you've smoked that day. I do not smoke anything, sir. Smoking is very bad for you, and it doesn't make me feel good. I eat edibles. Thank you very uh, much. Consume. Consume, my friend. Consume. Okay. I'll just get it right. Consume. I will, I will cop to you. But smoke? No. No, I do not smoke a darn thing. <laughs> well, let's jump through the haze of our lives and get into... Um, well, since we're talking about it so much, you want to do movies and TV? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Wow, you have watched a lot of crap. Well, okay. Let, let it be said, <laughs> number one, number one, I had a lot of time on my hands on the weekends where I was doing something else, but that something else was mind-numbing. So I had this on in the background while I was doing said something else. This is an impressive just pile of crap. Where, where, where? I, couldn't, I, I couldn't put anything on. That I actually gave a care about, because if I did, then I would want to watch it instead of doing what I needed to get done. All right. And that's a really easy way to get your wife yelling at you. Okay, okay. Uh, just, let's start cranking it out, man. I, this first one about salmon or whatever, what, what is this? All right, so first off, I start off with a, uh, with a, a double, uh, double feature of Broken Lizard Comedy. These are, of course, the guys that brought us Super Troopers. Started out with the Slammin' Salmon. I've literally never heard of that. Okay. First of all, it's a stupid movie. Second of all, it makes me giggle maniacally. It's not an intelligent movie. Not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not about to try and defend it. If you don't like stupid comedies, then you know what? You're not going to enjoy it because it's a stupid, stupid movie. That said, if you've ever waited tables in your life and you don't mind stupid comedy, it's pretty darn funny. And then next up, I watched Beer Fest, also by the Broken Lizard Comedy Troupe. And that is a movie about drinking excessive quantities of beer uh, in a uh, Olympic-style event. So, wife, uh, you're saved from watching this terrible movie because it is not at the library. I apologize, Jonathan. I tried. Is it? Was Are it you streaming? An Amazon Prime member. I am an Amazon Prime member. Well, oh, my friend, you can stream it for free on Prime Video, included <laughs> with your Amazon Prime <laughs> membership. That and Beer Fest, my friend. You're welcome. Gina, I still love you. I'm so sorry I did this to you, but I still love you. 
<laughs> good, good. Yeah, I love stupid comedies. I love, yeah. check that. I love very smart, stupid comedies. Uh, my favorite being uh, My Name is Earl. <laughs> that is a very, very stupid comedy written by very, very smart people. And, and there's a difference, but it's there. And occasionally the, 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 that crew gets into that. But anyway. Okay. I'll, I'll be curious to see what you think of, uh, of Slam and Salmon. Nice. Nice. I watched John Carter. I still haven't finished that. It was on Netflix and I still haven't gone there. It was all right. I can't call it a bad movie, but I can't call it a good one either. It, it's so middle of the road, but this, the special effects are so good. Like, yeah. I, I'm torn. Yeah. And it's got a great cast, but a completely perplexing take on the lore. Ultimately, that, that story just doesn't work in 2019. No, no. You know what they should have done? They should have just went all in on it and just been like all naked like the original was. <laughs> just just so this guy i think he's french but it was this guy who's not a terribly well-trained artist decided to just like do a graphic novel version of that that he published on the internet filled with copious amounts of nudity and it's really funny because like if you read that book you don't realize just how naked everybody is but when you see it it's like wow there's a lot of naked in that book because <laughs> you know they they typically will only describe someone once and then never describe their outfit again but when they describe their outfit is like jewelry and nothing else and maybe sandals uh yeah yeah no that's kind of how that's what they're packing for the rest of that freaking book and it's like wow okay like just just you know you just don't think about it sometimes but it's like whoa whoa I'll have a link for that in the show notes, maybe. There maybe you go. Not. But yeah, have, yeah, have, yeah. Have, have, I show, have I shown that to you? I stumbled upon it. They did an article on no. it in Kotaku. Oh, my God. But my phone is right next to me, so feel free to, feel free to send will, it. Will do. Because that sounds fascinatingly terrible. It, it is. Speaking of terrible, are you ready for this transition? Okay. I watched Logan Lucky. I have no idea what that is. Uh, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig... And uh, Channing Tatum in a movie by um, Steven Soderbergh. Okay. That's a lot of talent, right? I've just described a lot of talent. Yeah. I don't think any of them decided to bring that talent to the set with them because that movie was atrocious. Hmm. It is a train wreck of epic proportions. It's basically Ocean's Eleven in the backwater of West Virginia without any of the charm. And just with some borderline stereotypical hillbilly jokes. I mean, it was just, it wasn't good. What was this again? Logan Lucky. Huh. It just wasn't good. It wasn't good. Everything that makes Ocean, Ocean's Eleven a, a lovable caper movie, this movie tries and fails to achieve. It was a car accident. Hmm. A bad one, too. Not the kind where you go by and you're like, wow, I'm glad everybody's all right. The kind where you go by and there's there's sheets over things. Wow. S- Soderbergh came out of retirement to direct that movie. He shouldn't have. That was a bad <laughs> life choice. No. Hold on. Now I'm curious. Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Logan Lucky. I want to see if I'm alone in thinking this was a wretched movie. Wow. Apparently I am in the minority. Uh, it has a 92% fresh rating. Wow, that's impressive. I did not find it to be that fresh. Maybe it just caught me on a bad day. I don't know. It was horrible. You said you were wa- you were doing other things. Maybe it's one of those uh, movies you actually have to pay attention to. Maybe, maybe. 
I don't know. I just did not get any enjoyment out of it. If you've seen the movie and you feel differently, I'd love to hear your opinion because I just... Not not really impressed. Now, for a movie that did impress me, I mean, jaw-dropping impressed, and this is one I actually sat down and paid attention to. I'm glad I did not uh, try and do it while doing other things. I watched You Were Never Really Here with Joaquin Phoenix. What what, what movie was that one? It kind of came and went in theaters. Uh, he plays a uh, ex-soldier who is very obviously suffering from some pretty serious post-traumatic stress disorder. And on top of that, it's very obvious that he has had less than a pleasant upbringing and that he's dealing with a lot of abuse in his past. And he's basically teetering on madness the entire movie while uh, uh, he rescues kids from um, from bad situations. That's his employ. Okay. So Laugh Riot, family comedy of the of the year. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to call it that. I mean, it was intense. It was intense disturbing and yet you just feel for the guy you really do i mean what a lousy life all right very good movie though very well put together well written extremely well directed i cannot say enough about the direction um and joaquin phoenix just knocked it out of the park now here's something i i've seen that i've been wanting to watch but i haven't gotten around to it yet mad max beyond thunderdome yes i haven't seen that since i was a boy Oh, God, I love Tina Turner so much. She's so much fun to watch in that. Yeah, yeah. The Mad Max movies are weird because I've seen the Who first one. Who runs Bower to Town? The, the pigs that make the fuel, I think, technically. No, Master Blaster is the answer to that question. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, those movies are so strange. But I love Fury Road, so I should, I should watch them again. You know, going back to watch the original three movies and then going to watch Fury Road, it's the difference between a young director who's making, kind of making it up as he goes along and an experienced director who has honed their craft. All the, the hallmarks of greatness are there, but it's just kind of strung together. Whereas Max, Mad Max Fury Road is an exercise in the application of proper tension. God, it might be one of the best movies of the last 20 years. Agreed. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Thunder. No, we're not. No, we're not. But you better believe I'm about to watch it because. <laughs> yeah. Seeing Max Fratonsky back on the, on the screen again makes me want to watch me some Fury Road. Okay. Also, I'm going to say it. I think Hardy's the better Mad Max. I'd agree with that sentiment. I mean, he was barely in the last movie, but he. Uh... Which He's I think was to the movie's better at credit. Yeah. Yeah, because if Gibson was in that role, Gibson would want to be on screen more, and Fury Road was much more an ensemble. It works because he's not on screen very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's an ensemble. There's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of characters and moving parts, and if, if Mel was there, he'd want more spotlight, and I think yeah. that would have taken things and, out and, of and everybody Fury else. And Fury Road isn't about the spotlight. It, it's about having a narrator, but letting the world exist around him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and to, and uh, and to witness me. reason why... Witness me! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's yet another reason why I think George Miller has honed his craft. He really has. Well, you know what he honed his craft on? Dancing Penguin movies. Have you ever gone back and watched the second Babe movie? Uh, I've never watched either of them. <laughs> okay, first of all, the first Babe movie is amazing. I'm not even jo- I'm not saying that sarcastically. It is an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just an amazing movie. But the second one, 
that's when you remember that George Miller wrote Mad Max, because that is a dark movie. Read in between the lines of that one. That is not a happy child's tale. <laughs> that is a dark, dark movie. Uh, now let's see, moving right along. Um, I watched another really good movie uh, with Jessica. We sat down and watched a movie, which we rarely get to do these days. And we watched Arctic. What's that? With uh, Mads Mikkelsen. He plays a man who uh, was uh, in a plane crash almost nine months ago, and he's been uh, marooned in the Arctic ever since, and he's trying to survive. And he finally gets the uh, attention of a rescue helicopter, but it doesn't go as planned, and then he ends up um, basically trying to survive with two of them instead of one. And I don't want to go too much more into it, but it's, it's one of those movies where the main character doesn't really say a whole lot, and he's acting... 100% with his actions and his face and goodness like it's the performance of Mad Mickelson's career Mads Mickelson excuse me what an amazing movie taut very well told beautiful to look at I mean just a, a real a really good man versus nature tale you know it doesn't go over the top and doesn't get lost in the doldrums uh, speaking of other good movies I watched Bone Tomahawk I haven't, man, you've watched all these movies I've never heard of. Because as we've been over previously on this podcast, I am over 35 and thus no longer culturally relevant. So more and more pop culture slips by me and I don't well, notice Bone, it. Bone Tomahawk kind of came and went in theaters. It okay. did not do very well. It's a very small Western movie with um, uh, Kurt Russell in it. And it's about cannibals. And wow, is that movie intense. And there's one scene that's just downright disturbing. That said, it is an amazing Western. One of the the slower kind that is relying on the feeling of being there, which it does very, very well. And Kurt Russell is... It's funny because, you know, he had a shtick when he was younger, and then he had a shtick when he was in the middle of his career. Neither one of them I, I ever found particularly interesting. Where Kurt Russell really shines for me is when he loses that shtick and does something new and interesting. And as he's become older, that's become, for whatever reason, easier for him to tap into. Hmm. This character is, it's like a combination of MacReady from The Thing with, um, honestly, parts of Ego from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Weird. But I don't mean that in a negative or a weird way. It's just something about his demeanor. You know, I went to look up this movie on uh, on Wikipedia because I, again, never heard of it. And uh, it kind of had me at the first go, which was a 2015 American horror western. And I'm like, horror western? I am on board. <laughs> I think you'll like it. I really do think you'll like it. I, I, I would urge you to watch that. I think that's on Amazon Prime as well. Okay. Two last entries here. Dragon Slayer from 1982. Yes, yes. I've actually, I, I watched about half of that recently, but the daughter got bored because I don't know why. I mean, I get it. I get it. It's got that early 80s thing going on, mm-hmm. kind of like that that legend pacing, if you will. Yeah, it's a little slow. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, how the hell was that a Disney movie? That's a brutal friggin' movie. Yeah, yeah. Dragon Babies. That was a killed. Disney movie, man. Yeah, yeah. I, that's one of the reasons I actually stopped it because I realized when the Dragon Babies happen, uh, my daughter would probably cry. <laughs> Should get really hard ups. to believe that was a Disney flick. Also, the creature effects of the dragon—holy crap—they hold up. Yeah, they do. 
Yeah. And this came out one year after Empire Strikes Back, but the way they do the animation is so smooth. It almost looks CG. Do you remember uh, what the dragon's name is? Uh, yes, it's... Vermithrax Pejorative. Verm- yeah, <laughs> Vermithrax Pejorative. There you go. That's a bitchin' name. I love that yeah, name. Yeah, it is. I'm, like, really curious about how that movie holds up in the modern day because, you know, fantasy and all of that is so much more prominent now. Whereas, you know, as a kid in the 80s and the 90s where we ha- didn't have Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones that was popular, like, all we had was, like, Hawk the Slayer and Dragon Slayer and... Krull. <laughs> oh, I love Krull. Yeah, yeah. It's so bad, though. Yeah, yeah. Dude, James Horner did the soundtrack of that. It's awesome. The soundtrack's the best part about that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You are wrong. Killing the Slayers. So many Slayers. Dragon Slayers. There's Slayers and Krull. Huh. Never thought about that. That's the secret sauce of the 80s. You gotta have a Slayer in there somewhere. Anyway, the Slayers, when you kill them and the little worm comes out of the back of their head and dives underground, that's <laughs> the badass part. And you know it. All right, so I'm going to cut you off before we talk about your last one because that's the one we watched together. So I'm going to go over my few movies that I watched. First off, this is a movie, but I didn't know where else to put it. I actually found an actual plague podcast I really like. I've been, uh, I, I don't have like a lot of spare time to listen to new podcasts, so I've been slowly marching my way through it, but it's called Encounter Party. They basically play a D&D game, but they cut out a lot of like the dice rolling and the table talk. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And then uh, they you know, do sound effects. And when the GM talks, like he's got a couple voice actors. So they re-record like the GM's lines to be, you know, voices that are a little bit better. And it, it kind of plays like a mix of like an old timey radio drama and a D&D game. And it's quite good. Highly recommend. Nice. Highly nice. Re- What's it called? Encounter Party. Check that out. And it's set in Ravnica, if you like Ravnica. They 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 just recorded the second season, but there's 17 episodes in the first season, and it all takes place in Ravnica. Other thing I watched was, uh, we watched Shazam again, rented that from the library, and watched it. And I gotta say, I liked it more on a second viewing. I don't know why people hate on that movie so much. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> but- yeah, maybe that's what got to me. Uh this additional viewing, maybe, maybe it was the fact that it's dumb, and I'm picking up more on that. Yeah, I was more, I was more enamored with it the first time I watched it. And then, at the request of listener and friend of the show, Brendan, Mister Zombie Professor himself, uh, I rented a movie called The Kid Who Would Be King. Because uh, on the last episode, I mentioned I liked Arthurian stuff, and so he suggested it, and I would highly recommend that. Highly. Like, if you can get your hands on that, Jonathan, I will shut up about it because I want to hear what your take on it. All right. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see who's streaming it. So it is it was made by Fox right before the merger. It was Fox's, I think, like last or second to last movie they released. It was definitely their last PG movie that they ever released and oh, ever will. just came out. Yeah, it came out this year. Uh, I And I, I just hadn't heard of it. It was probably because it got January lost in the shuffle. January 25th of 2019, directed by Joe Cormish. Yeah, yeah. I think it just got Oof, lost. It bombed. Yes, it did. Which wow. I get and I don't get. Uh, the main problem with the movie is like you think it's over and then it's like, surprise, we have a fourth act. And you're like, oh, OK. <laughs> well, let me tell you, man, like I, I, I keep track of movies a lot. I love watching trailers and I don't I didn't ever ever hear that this even came. Out. Right. Yeah, I think I think just with well, the what a disparity, man. I just went to um, Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety percent from critics only a 58 percent audience score so it's like it didn't resonate with audiences yeah yeah i don't know i liked it i thought it was really good is it streaming anywhere that you can get uh i'm i don't think so not yet. okay so it's it's arthurian legend it's basically you know excalibur comes back like 
now. And it's about a kid who finds it and, you know, pulls the sword from the stone and goes and fights Morgana and fantasy stuff in the modern day. And it was just fun. It was a fun kids movie. You know, I had a good time. And they get this kid to play Merlin and like the kid they got to play Merlin completely steals the movie whenever he's in it because it's kind of a normal kids movie. But then every time Merlin shows up, he is just so weird that he's captivating I mean, I don't want to spoil the jokes, but there, there's this good kind of running gag where Merlin's powers, like they don't work at night and he needs to drink this magic potion to regain his energy if he expends a lot of his mojo uh, in any given time. And he needs to drink like, uh, like I, f- I forget what the exact list is, but something like beaver urine, uh, beetle shells and something else. And then he figures out that basically like he can get all that. Uh, he, he goes to like a Kentucky fried chicken or something. And like the red dye and some soda is made out of beetle shells. Oh, oh no, no, no. Sorry. It's, uh, it's the red dye and something. The milkshakes have the urine in it with, which is used as a thickening agent. And then like the other thing, it's like this herb, but it's part of the herbs and spices in the chicken. And so he just is like nomming on all that crap, like constantly throughout the film. And then like in the climax of the movie, like he's, he blew, he blew all his magic, like fighting the big bad. And he's like, I'm dying. I'm, I'm not going to make it. And then like the kid's like, here, here, drink this magic potion. And it's like in a water bottle. And it's like, basically they took all the ingredients that he needs to eat, including the milkshake and like put it in a blender. And it's just this pink goop. And he just like chugs it like it's like fine wine you know like like he's a man dying of thirst and it's like oh it's so gross it was it was a good flick there were a couple of good things and and uh to answer the question that was posed to me yes the way merlin cast magic is freaking amazing and it was quite fun so i would recommend it it's i would say the reason it failed is yeah it does have like a surprise third act like you're just kind of like it's wrapping up you're like oh that was a good movie and and you feel like it's done and then it's like no we're not really done there's a fourth act (laughs) which and you're like oh wow this movie's gonna go on for another 40 minutes okay all right here we go (laughs) and last but not least before we get to our big finale uh i rented from the library stephen king's sleepwalkers So when I was 12 years old, I remember watching that movie and I think it was like the first bad movie that registered on my 12 year old radar because I watched it. Oh, Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers. Uh, Sorry. For some reason, I was thinking uh, the other one. Was it you that watched? uh, Was it Tommyknockers? Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Oh, wow. What a car accident that movie is. Yes. So. Yeah, it came, okay, so I was 13 when it came out. But um, I, I remember watching it, and I remember like being captivated in how awful the movie was, but oddly entertaining because of it. And I remember, I, 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 I remember watching it three times when I rented it, and then I made a friend of mine watch it because I was like, this movie is so bad. Like, isn't it awesome in how bad it is? And my friend— I mean, it's, it's pretty spectacularly terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I remember my friend. Hi, Steve. If you listen to this podcast, uh, I remember my friend looking at me, possibly like I was like off my meds or something, like with this look of like, "The hell you on about, sir? That was awful." And I'm like, "Yes, it was. It was great." Uh, so I watched it with Gina, and we had a great time. Uh, we it, it, it just it was so bad, and and uh, and afterward. She said like um, she was sitting there and she was kind of in shock. I think she had this weird look on her face and she's like, you know, I think I'm glad I married you because I wouldn't have had this experience any other way. I certainly would never have watched this movie. And I can't say I'm not glad I did. I I think I was entertained. And I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, it's kind of how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that movie's pretty gloriously terrible. Yeah, like what was he? And the funny part is like older me recognized so many of the horror people in that because Stephen King obviously has a cameo, but Clive Barker's in there and Joe Dante and um, I think Lansdale's in it and uh, and a couple other people. The guy who did Phantasm. Like there's so many horror authors and directors that have cameos in that. And I'm like, how did he get all these people together to do this crappy movie? Like, did they read the script or did they just read the page they were on? <laughs> but oh, oh my gosh. Mark Hamill was in it. Like uh, blink and you'll miss it. Like he played the sheriff at the beginning that never comes back. It's just dude, he's there for like <laughs> he's got his like two pages of dialogue and he's out. <laughs> I mean, part of me wants to watch it, but maybe not. No, no, do it. It's yet. worth. It is worth. It is an entertaining ride, which apparently is one of their powers. They can make their cars turn invisible. <laughs> Stop looking at me! Stop looking at me! You blinking cat! <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? I forgot one. Oh, I one. go on. Uh, I started watching a show on Netflix called Daybreaker. Oh, yeah. that's Or Daybreak. Daybreak. That's on my radar, and I don't know why. Uh, it should be on your radar. You're going to enjoy it. Um, it is a uh, what happens if the apocalypse happens and the only people left behind are children because all the adults become uh, mindless. Uh, that's humans. right. I remember that. Cool. How is it? Uh, irreverent and genre-breaking and surprising. And one episode has a narration by Riza the entire episode. Hmm. And they're street samurai. Fair. Because that's a thing now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. As, the, uh, as the characters put it. I am having a blast with it. It is so much fun. Go watch it. I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. Uh, I, got, I still haven't watched The Boys. I got I to gotta cross so many things off my list. And I've got a pile of movies to watch right now. So We'll put this on the list after The Boys. We, watch The Boys first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. All right. All right. Let's talk about it, Jonathan. Let's talk about it. I got my my daughter requested it after watching the Adams Family, and you, I want you to tell you that I spent three dollars and ninety nine cents on this. Fool, but you're welcome. I couldn't do it for free. It, it wasn't it wasn't free anywhere. Okay, I was dedicated well, to the cause, buddy. So what we of course are talking about is 1994's magnum opus of filmmaking, Street Fighter the movie. Jonathan, tell me what you thought. It's even worse than I remember. That is impressive. I remember it being pretty bad when I saw it. I do too. And then when I watched it, the first like the first two or three minutes, I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, hey, this this, this newscasting is kind of interesting. I'd forgotten about this. And hey, they're kind of building an interesting world here. And then the characters started talking, <laughs> especially Ken. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was like somebody had put evenly spaced down a banister giant knobs and told me to slide down it it was not that bad it was fun except for maybe oh i had fun yeah it's exquisite and it doesn't even pay attention to the source material no although interestingly enough uh the game has uh since sort of bended to the movie because a lot of the last names that they came up with for the movie they have become canon (laughs) <laughs> lots of things have yeah it's impressive like Dawson being a doctor look d- d- don't take this the wrong way number one one of the most impressive things is how diverse the cast is that was actually a welcome welcome thing yeah true true there are people from all walks of life but if you've got a character who who the character is 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 distinctly 
of a specific background, you don't cast him as a big old Hawaiian fella. <laughs> and that's not the Hawaiian fella's fault here. Because he did a fine job with what he was given. Good lord what he was given, though. Oh my god. Why do they still call me a warlord? And mad! All I want to do is create the perfect genetic soldier. Not for power! Not for evil! But for good! <laughs> I mean... I, here's the thing I couldn't figure out what Raul Julia was doing because it felt like he was giving an Oscar worthy performance <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to applaud him for it but for you the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life but for me it was Tuesday yeah 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 oh, so good that's a great freaking line the- you know I'm just going to say, that line is gold. Yeah, yeah. It was funny. Uh, when uh, when we were watching it, my wife was was like, when that line came up, she she was just dying laughing when it came out. And she's like, I always thought that that's not what the line was. I thought you, were, you made that up and it wasn't that bad. But no, you quoted it directly this whole time. And I'm like, yes, yes, honey. <laughs> I was hoping to face Guile personally on the battlefield, one gentleman warrior to another in respectful combat. Then I would snap his spine. <laughs> Uh, the movie's got a weird energy like can, can you see it when it was happening because basically oh no wait they filmed they filmed anyway like by the time they got done filming all the stuff that didn't involve bison everybody's like tired because apparently everybody just got loaded every night too and just drank all night and so everybody's like weird and tired and like and they're i think they know they're in garbage at this point so like you know there's just this weird vibe of like just just like entrenched sadness inside them, <laughs> you know, that they're in this pile of garbage. But then like Raul Julia showed up on the set and Raul Julia, like just like nailed it. <laughs> like every scene he was in, he was just so good. <laughs> and this is merely superconductor electromagnetism. Surely you've heard of it. It levitates bullet trains from Tokyo to Osaka. It levitates my desk where I ride the saddle of the world and it levitates me. <laughs> Yeah, it's so freaking amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. I love that movie. Why do they still call me a warlord? I and mad. I just did that quote. I know. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> the loving grip of the Pax by Sonica. <laughs> oh. oh my god. Oh, when he turns to Saget. And he's got the the eye patch on. He says, "I guess you didn't see that, did you?" <laughs> I almost lost it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that is my favorite type of movie. The uh, the polished turd. I love polished oh, turds. Wow, it was so much worse maybe, than I remember. Maybe we should do a deep dive of like polished turds someday. Because I'd have to think about it more. But that that movie and, and Life Force would definitely be on that list. <laughs> Life Force is the best polished turd ever made. It is so exquisitely. Have you watched Life Force lately? Have I made you do no, that? Oh. No, I need. Is it streaming? I don't know, but oh. After the $4 I spent on this, I feel like I'm exhausted for the year. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Life Force is uh, $3.99 on iTunes. Yeah, it is currently not on Prime. 
That was the sound of my head hitting the mic <laughs> as I realized that I will probably rent it. Let me know if you do. I'll, I'll dust off my DVD copy and give it another whirl. <laughs> I love movies where everybody is obviously trying so hard and it's just it's just not working. <laughs> it's just not happening. And it's through you know nobody's the crazy fault. Part is there's so many good actors in that movie. Which one, Street Fighter or Life Force? Yes, Street Fighter. I mean, legitimately, I'm not saying that ironically. I mean, Wes Studi, mm-hmm. if you've seen Last of the Mohicans, I mean, that is an amazing movie. Yeah, yeah. And he's amazing in it. Raul Julia is, blo- you know, he's he was so good. Ming-Na Wen is amazing in everything she does. Mm-hmm. Hell, it even had young Kylie Minogue in it. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. As Cammy, I think that was before she was uh, famous too. Yeah, and later uh, Cammy turned out to be M Bison's clone, but la- uh, a, a lady. That's that's canon now. Man, <laughs> it's so blatantly ignored. So much of what makes Street Fighter Street Fighter. <laughs> like I love the fact that the the two of the bad guys are actually playing good guys in the movie, and some of the good guys are playing bad guys. Like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, well, Zangief does a face turn, so, which is a very wrestler thing to do, so I will give him credit for that. That was probably correct. Yeah, but DJ's not a bad guy in the, in the games. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know DJ's and, lore. And, and Bison, uh, or not Bison, he's Bison in the Japanese version. Um, uh, Balrog. Yeah. Is definitely a bad guy. Yeah. And he plays a hero. That's true. All true. Ihan is not a Hawaiian sumo wrestler. In Japan. Fair enough. <laughs> West Studi it doesn't look even remotely Thai, and Sagat's supposed to be Thai. He's got the eye patch. <laughs> and, I mean, Dalsum's one of the warriors, and he doesn't even fight. All right. The less said about this movie, the better, man. It's 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 just, it's so good. It, it's, it is an amazing mess. It's, it, yeah. I, I think every so often it's required viewing. Maybe Maybe you need beer and pizza. Maybe you need, you know, oh, so much your uh, your California slash Portland slash whatever state where it's legal. So much beer. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe you need that. I don't have either. I just like bad movies, so I I just enjoyed it for what it was. Well, I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. Which uh, which would you like? Uh, bad news first. Uh, well, the bad news is it doesn't look like he is uh, acting anymore. Now it looks like he's producing. But the good news is, up until 2018. The man who played Ken, Damien Chapa, has been in a string of completely unknown films, none of which even remotely sound good. He was the weak link in that movie, which is saying something. I'm sure he was the weak link. That's exactly where it all fell apart. (laughs) He's uh, since gone on to star in such hits as Fuego. Hmm? Killer Priest, mm-hmm. Vampiro, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Bad Cop. Oh, he was in U.S. U.S. Seals Two, the straight to video <laughs> sequel to U.S. Seals. All right. Oh, he was in Melrose Place. Well, good on him. Good on him. There you go. There you go. And he also played Paolo Catania in Hitman's Run. Yeah, that all sounds about correct. A little dish called Kill You Twice. And he once played a police officer and married with children. So really, I mean, cinematic tour de force right there. That movie feels like it was written 
I don't know. I'm giving it about 15 minutes, maybe 20. All right, all right. Let's move on. We can only hate on movies. <laughs> don't hate. Positive podcast. The movie was great, and you know it. <laughs> there is a certain beauty in how awful it is. Like, it's just, it's it's like Frankenstein's monster. It's so hideous because it's so unearthly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, it's so good. All right, so I see here you finished reading Dune. Finally, yes, I finished. Because you, you're reading Children of Dune, or Dune Part 2, The Electric Boogaloo, right? Messiah, <sighs> Messiah. I've forgotten how much I don't care for that, so I stopped. Ah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I shifted gears. I, I might return to it. I mean, really, it for me, it's always been about the first movie. Yeah, I heard from a lot or of people. Movie, excuse me, the first book that the the original trilogy or whatever you want to call it of the Dune was worth doing. But after that, you should probably stop. And by the time I'd gotten to the the dude turning into a sandworm, I'm like, yeah, seems like a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> but I did uh, start another book. I barely barely cracked it, but it's called Columbus Day Expeditionary Force. Nice. Is it historical? No. Okay, no. good. Because that, uh, if it was the actual history, that would be a laugh Dale riot. Dale was telling me about it. Dale was telling me about it. And in Columbus Day, it's called Columbus Day because that's when aliens invade the Earth. <laughs> Independence Day probably would be better. All right. So what happens? But I think that was taken. I think that was taken. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like I said, I just started it. Uh, I'm not even a full chapter in, so I don't really have much to report. Is there an inspiring speech by the president in it where he talks about how, you know, 500 years ago, a man landed on what he thought was China, but it turned out to be islands completely unaware of where he was or what he was doing. And then they proceeded to do awful things to an entire continent. But from now on, we'll remember this day as something else. No, oddly enough, they have not uh, traipsed to palm that yet. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. We'll report back. I'll let you know. Okay. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I finished up uh, the Superman Earth One. I, I read Volume Three, and oh, nice! nice it nice. it kind of wrapped up. I think he had a feeling he wouldn't write another one because it did kind of, but not really. <laughs> it was still good. It just wasn't like great. Like that was a problem with a lot of the Earth One ones. Like I read them, I'm like, I like where this is going. I'll read the next one, I think. And then you know, after a while, it just sort of petered out. Uh, but you know, I mean, if you, if it's at the local library and you like Superman, can you could definitely do worse of reading Superman stories if you haven't read it before. Um, and then, uh, we talked about it. Uh, I bought a while ago, actually the Diana Jones award winning role-playing game, uh, Starcrossed. And I remembered they had a bunch of copies at one of the local bookstores. So I went and grabbed the last one actually. And I was like, why is this box heavy? And that's when I found out that much like dread it's rules involved Jenga and it had the Jenga in it. I'm like, Oh, it has the Jenga in it. That's probably why it was so expensive and so heavy. And I didn't need another copy of Jenga. I wish I'd done my research, but uh, I read the game. Basically, the way you feel about it will be how you feel about a lot of story games, because on one hand, it's a really interesting way of sitting with somebody who you're probably fairly intimate with, because again, it's about Starcross lovers, and uh, and have and tell an interesting story together. But the rules, I would not call them rules. It's more of a storytelling framework. There isn't a lot of like game, but that's kind of not the point. So you know, I. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I liked it. I it reading it, it was like genius in how simple it was. Like I, I got why it won the Diana Jones Award. Reading it, it was really well done, and it was a really good breakdown of that kind of storytelling in a way that's very easily accessible. Like it was, yeah, it, it, its beauty was in its simplicity. So I, I will recommend 
if if a role playing game about star cross lovers that you play with one other person sounds remotely interesting to you, you will probably enjoy it. Gina and I have that sound interesting. Yeah, Gina and I have not played it yet, but uh, it's on our list of things to do. Uh, that is because uh, Gina and I have been playing the WoW Classic because we canceled our accounts, so we're running out our time and, and just getting our last licks in, which is actually today, and I don't know if we'll be playing today, to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah, the WoW Classic is over for us, unfortunately. Aw. I realized what the, the problem with, with most, well, with a lot of MMOs and World of Warcraft especially is, Jonathan, do you, do you, do you know what the problem is? Because I'm going to say it out loud and you're going you're gonna to agree with me. Are you ready for it? Other people? No, no, that's not actually the problem at all. I, I was actually, I was having the most fun when I was playing because there were a lot of people I knew who were playing who I've kind of like lost touch with and we all kind of got back together in the game and it was fun catching up with them and killing stuff while we were doing it. No, no, no. The problem with World of Warcraft is um, it's not a hobby. It wants to be your only hobby. And that's the problem yeah, with it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's the problem. Like, Gina and I were playing it maybe once or twice a week. And, yeah, we just weren't giving it enough time for 15 bucks a month. There's a lot of other things we could do for, actually, well, two accounts. It was 30 bucks a month. And there's just better things we could do with that money, you know, especially for once or twice a week of, you know, not bad fun but not like super duper fun you know like we get the same mileage i mean we could use that 30 bucks to buy like torchlight or guacamole or something on the ps that we could play together and just go you know mash buttons and you know kill monsters diablo that type of stuff so yeah oh gentle listener who exists in the future uh you will live in the post uh blizzcon world and we'll find out what happened I'm really curious if Diablo 4 is coming out. I really like I Diablo. Hope so. I like Diablo really. 3 on the consoles. Like I don't like playing yeah. that game on computer because I it, it feels like Farmville to me. I'm just like I'm just pushing buttons on a screen. I don't know why it breaks me, but it always does. But like playing with the controller really got me. I, I played that game. It I'm like this game's better. genius. <laughs> yeah. It works better. Agreed. Still cracking along on uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2. I have pretty much finished the castle. I need to do some of the uh, some of the some little it's in bobs here and there but uh yeah i finished the castle i'm starting to do repair the landscaping that i tore out with my golem so good um but yeah yeah so we need to start thinking about what we're gonna do i've been thinking i've probably been overthinking about what we're gonna do when we go explore the castle together jonathan and have a commentary for it so you know what we should do? I'm kind of curious. I'm not 100% sure how we're going to go with it. Yeah, yeah, I know. We, we should probably watch a lot of vampire movies so we can do our normal, like, you know, riffing <laughs> and just kind of going off on vampire stuff occasionally because, I mean, it is Ravenloft. I will say this. Um, there's not a lot of, like, ruins uh, it, that are in the sort of tile set for Dragon Quest Builders, so I made the choice early on to build the castle as, like, functional because if it was just, like, wrecked rooms, uh, all I really had at my disposal was, like, rocks and broken pieces of wood, and room after room after room of rocks and broken pieces of wood probably get a little boring after a while, a little bit. Also, the uh, Dragon Quest Builders has a good room system where the NPCs will, like, run around and do stuff in various rooms, so building the rooms actually makes people do stuff in them, which is kind of fun to watch, so I, I, I built them functional. Good times, though. Good times. I haven't posted a lot of pictures lately because I've a lot of the work I'm doing isn't obvious, if that makes sense. Anyway, uh, and I haven't played that game in like four days. I haven't had time. I know the feeling. Any any video games you've been doing, sir? Uh, I continue playing Apex Legends Season 3, having a good time. Um, they did a, they've been in the middle of a really neat Halloween event. Oh. That goes through November 5th. <laughs> um, whole different thing. It takes you back to the first map as opposed to the new map, but it's all at night and they've changed it up a bit. And 
Um, it's a completely different game variant, which we've never seen from them before. Which so that's that's been nice. Uh, I picked up uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider to play through it because uh, I realized I'd never finished it, so I started it fresh and I'm I'm playing through again. Is that the first uh, one of the reboot? That's the second one. That's okay. The second one. Okay. The first one I actually think I played two or three times because I played it when it first came out on the PlayStation Three, and then I think I played the Xbox 360 version, and then I I played through the Xbox One version too because it was the uh, fancier graphics, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was based off the PC version. And Rise of the Tomb Raider looks really, really pretty. Uh, and then um, I've been playing through Final Fantasy VII again. Hmm. And man, I forgot how creepy some of the stuff in that is. Creepy as in spooky? Creepy as in you go into this guy's house and he only lets women in. And um, he basically is uh, heavily insinuating that he's created himself a little harem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's looking for a wife, but nobody has permission to leave. Yeah, I'm wondering how they'll handle yeah. all that. I remember the bathhouse being potentially problematic in this modern yeah. age. And at one point, he's just the hump in the air. He's humping the air repeatedly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just awkward and unsettling. And I just, you know, I had to keep reminding myself: this was 20 years ago. Life was a little bit different. You can't do this sort of thing now. But even back then, I feel like. I'd, I'd put it out of my head because it was so weird. Yeah. You know, maybe they should like lean into it and like, you know, me too and all that and just make it more creepy. <laughs> you know, Jeez, man. You know, it's not going to be tough to do. It's pretty freaking creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But just really lean into it. And, and I mean, he's humping the air. Well, yeah. Just, just make it, make it really unsettling in a way that, you know, is just really unsettling. I, I, if, if they go there in the remake, I will, I will applaud them because, that would actually be brave of a video game company to try to try to make it that unsettling in a way that, you know, gaming dudes especially could probably get be good, be interesting. I don't think they'll go there though. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Anything else? Uh, I think I'm done. I hope we're done. You know what I really want to do? Eat some peanuts. Oh, there you go. (laughs) We bought, we bought like an oil drum of peanuts from, uh, from Costco. (laughs) Costco. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Just, just eating peanuts because we we're gonna get like the more expensive like mixed nuts but it's like i don't like all the nuts and mixed nuts and everybody has their preferences and you know there's just gonna be that one type of nut that nobody likes that's gonna just be everywhere at the bottom of the jar because everybody's gonna kind of yeah. avoid them so it's like screw it nobody hates peanuts i don't know if anybody like loves peanuts i hate peanuts i can't but, stand peanuts no oh, yeah no i don't hate i don't love them but you know i mean i'll, I'll eat them so we just went with the cheapest can because then there's there's no you take away that illusion of choice there is no choice just eat a damn peanut it's like okay fine <laughs> but i wanted a cashew uh, are you ready I'm gonna yeah yeah do cashew. it do it i'm gonna eat a peanut and that brings us to the end of our first segment we're gonna take a quick break and when we return it will be time for wisdom of crowds so short so very very short i i don't even have like a news story jonathan it's not even it, it i'm gussing it up and pretending it's news but it's not we all know it you'll see what i mean come on back do you have a tabletop board game miniature game or rpg that you're going to release for retail or do you have an upcoming tabletop kickstarter that you're about to launch we would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. 
It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all of the most interesting and entertaining tabletop news, which, frankly, Robert, during this time of year, is not a whole lot. No. No, not a lot. Not a lot. But we did find a couple things, and we actually would be remiss if we did not mention that we uh, just realized during the break that we forgot to talk about board games during the (laughs) the, uh, opening banter there. Yeah, we went a little long on Street Fighter. Yes, I think we both yeah. kind. Of, we were so in. We were so in awe of Bison's brilliance that we forgot the board games. I thought it was a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, not 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 it a ton Tuesday. to talk about. No, 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 I didn't, Jonathan. I didn't have Jonathan, a lot of games it, that I got. Jonathan. Out. Yeah. It will be Tuesday when this comes out. There, there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, I mean, we've we've deep dove two of these and we'll be deep diving the third one here later in the episode so i'll just say them real quick star wars outer rim played it with the kids had a lot of fun um told some really good stories uh, which i think is really what that game is the best uh about doing uh played some more monster slaughter uh, loving me the werewolves i think they're my favorite not just because they're werewolves but because they play really well mm-hmm. and then finally played a very 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 long game of street uh, star trek ascendancy nice because we were playing with a lot of people by the way, last episode did very, very well. I think there was uh, some people who found us via Monster Slaughter. So welcome aboard, everybody. Yes. Yes, indeed. Get on that train. Hope you liked your deep dive into Street Fighter, because that's what this podcast is all about. Oddly enough, yes, that is a true statement. <laughs> so, yes, apologies for not getting that in the first segment. But now it is time for us to talk about the wisdom of crowds. Meaning, Robert, let's go to the news. And I'm going to get us started out. This is currently on Kickstarter, but you know it's going to make it to retail. Uh, it's kind of a big deal, and I'm surprised at the timing. And that is Zombicide Second Edition. Yeah, I saw that the other day. It is fascinating. It, uh, the uh, the the rules that you like that you always talk about that you either the friendly you know, fire rules. rules. Yeah, that appears to be in there. Of from course, what it I, is. What I, the first one was just plain dumb. There's no other way to put it. It was just a bad <laughs> choice. <laughs> okay, tell me how you really feel, Jonathan. <laughs> Tell me, you're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, and your buddies get eaten by a zombie, and you shoot into it. What? Who's the first person that you're going to be, you know, hoping to hit there? Is it going to be the zombie or the the other dude? No, obviously your other dude. Yeah, man, that's how it goes. Obviously, because we're certainly not doing a co-op game here. <laughs> yeah. It was just. Yeah. It was a bad rule, and they they patched it in later versions of it, and it was a good patch. It, it makes sense that they would adopt it. True, 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 true. I like the art. I like the the redoing uh, the redos of the original characters. It's nice to see them back. Got a really neat Cthulhu looking monster. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at that. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, Zombicide Second Edition. Uh, I mean, frankly, a Second Edition is like long overdue for that game. You know, because they've done so much iteration and riffing off the original one that it's it's kind of gotten away from what it was. And the co-op adventure <laughs> game has come a long way in that time. They have I a Danny Trejo right expansion. Actually licensed Danny Trejo? Yes, yes. It is legit Danny Trejo. He's the survivor. Uh, he comes with a walker and an abomination and figures and cards. And he's got his chest hat and everything. And he's got uh, two giant Bowie knives because Danny Trejo. And he's not wearing a shirt because Danny Trejo. Danny, Danny Trejo. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. That might be the best expansion for a board game ever. Well, they're doing a role-playing game at the same time, for, so there's something for everybody. They did something cool. They have a, a carry case that you can buy for 50 bucks, And it holds... Um, 79 miniatures, 6 dice rollers, 68 plastic tokens, 68 equipment cards, 40 zombie cards, and basically packages it all up so you can travel with it very efficiently. 50 bucks gets you the source book and a GM screen. But not. But you need to spend that extra 15 bucks to get the Danny Trejo expansion. 
So are those zombie versions of him? No. Aw. It's an abomination uh, and a walker from the, the the core game, it looks like. So, yeah. I don't know. Looks good. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'll probably end up backing it because I'm weak-minded and have no stuff. You realize by the time this podcast comes out, uh, they will have hours left to back it. It's not Again, like I said, the only reason I brought it up because you know it's eventually going to be in retail, too. True that. True that. All right, what's next? White Wizard Games uh, has picked up Kapow for a 2020 reprint. Did They're Star Realms? Yes. No. Exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. Star Realms, Hero Realms, Epic Card Game. Uh, it's a dueling, Kapow is a dueling superhero game uh, with buildable dice. <laughs> and it was actually originally How do you on... build, uh, wait, wait, when you say, uh, sorry, when, I, when you said buildable dice, I just had this vision of you putting dice together like Legos. Like, tell me I'm wrong. When you say buildable dice, you mean like dice pools, right? Uh, no, it is literally building dice like Legos. There's a little... Wow. There's a, there, there, okay, think of a D6. Right. Okay. All the sides are hollowed out, and there's a okay. single peg in the middle, almost like a Lego okay. peg that you would clip into. And uh, then the mm-hmm. faces just clip into that segment. The egg is now on my face, because the thing that I thought was funny turned out to be true. I'm, uh, And when you said that out loud, I'm like, that's actually an interesting mechanic. So they they picked up Kapow. It was on uh, Kickstarter back in 2017, and now they are doing a reprint. Yeah. So basically, after you build your dice, you're rolling behind a screen, which is kind of interesting. And then you're assigning them to eligible uh, spaces based on what symbols come up. Then everybody reveals and, and goes into action combat. That is K-A-P-O-W? With an exclamation point, yes. With an exclamation Kapow! It's a su- superhero theme. It looks comic book. It, 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 it's neat. It's a neat, neat looking game, which is why I put it in here. Uh, our deep dive a couple episodes ago, uh, Strongholds and Followers, uh, the sequel book is out. Or not oh, out. Quick. It's on Kickstarter. Yes, Kingdoms and Warfare. It's up right now. It's got 23 days left to go. I would love it if you backed it. Actually, everything that's going to get put in the book, because right now they're unlocking minis with stretch goals, and, and I love minis. Oh, boy, do I love minis. I just don't have any more room for minis in my life, which is very, very, oh, man, very, don't very I know sad. Don't I know Yeah, 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 yeah. Very sad. I need to I need to find my... You know what I need? I need less children in this house. Stupid kid. Anyone's eight. Stupid just kid, one more decade, kid. and she can just be out of the house. This is what I, I found interesting about the Kingdoms and Warfare uh, Kickstarter. It's actually Kingdoms Warfare and more minis because, of course, it is. He has had so Jonathan. If I told you that it has been eight days since this Kickstarter launched, I think it's eight days. How many updates uh, on Kickstarter would you think this Kickstarter had? Ah, uh, okay. Let's do some math here. Um, what what was the what was the requested goal? Three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, that's a healthy requested goal. Okay, and then what is the actual quantity at? Currently? Yeah. $912,000. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit of basic math here. I'm going to go with 35 updates. They have had one. Whoa! Woo! Yep. Wow, I really screwed the pooch on that one, didn't I? Yeah. So it's it's by Matt Coville, right? So he does YouTube videos and he does like streaming and whatnot, right? All of his updates about this Kickstarter have been on those platforms and they've only had one which came four days in on kickstarter itself now to be fair to be fair has he stated on the kickstarter platform that you should be watching his channels for updates you have yes yeah okay. but i thought it was interesting that a, a basically somebody who has built his audience around youtube and twitch mostly youtube is pretty much exclusively using youtube and twitch to communicate with the audience for the kickstarter hey, and no less knows. good on him right 
Yeah, no, but like I, I've never seen a Kickstarter do that before. No, I can't say I have either. Yeah, because like Critical Role when they did stuff, I mean, his first one, certainly he did a lot of updates in his first one too. But this one, they're just like, you know, like we don't talk to our people on Kickstarter. Like, because I, I think they correctly guessed that the majority of people who would want this book haven't possibly used Kickstarter before. So they wouldn't even know to go to look there for updates. Because the only update they've done was to say that they added in a pledge to have a t-shirt and a book because a lot of people were requesting it because a lot of the people never had done Kickstarter before. So they didn't understand how to like just add extra money to the pledge to get the shirt, <laughs> you know? And that was the only Kickstarter update. Any normal Kickstarter there, there would have been at least like what, like 20 odd updates because every time they hit a stretch goal, they would have said, hey, this is going to be a mini now. Yeah, blah. But again, all of that is on Twitch and YouTube. It's fascinating. I, I've never seen anybody do this before. And, you know, honestly, I don't think it's the bad idea. You know, if your audience is over there, like why bother with Kickstarter? You know, Kickstarter is the means to the end, but it's not the way to communicate with your audience. So I, I found it fascinating. That's my bit of no- news. Something interesting I noticed. If anybody else has spotted Kickstarters like that, because I'm not shocked it happened this way, especially with streaming being a thing in, in gaming communities and whatnot. You know, I'm wondering if, like, maybe, because, um, like, doesn't, like, Dice Tower and some of the other podcasts, like, don't they do stuff via Kickstarter occasionally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Dice Tower does. I, I know many podcasts do. I, Secret Cabals once a year. Um Right, right. And, it, and it's a good point. Like, why are you communicating via Kickstarter? Like, you, you have a platform that you already have an audience built around. Why don't you talk to them through that? Well, actually, you know what? Um, now, come to think of it, uh, with Secret Cabal, that they, they have been using the platform. Uh, not, yeah, not, okay. not the Kickstarter platform, excuse me, their platform. Because every episode, they do what's called a founder's update. Well, especially if you're in Twitch. Because, I mean, Twitch is such a non-scripted thing. Because, like, doing videos, like video essays, or even, like, a podcast like this, like... Even if you're off the cuff, and we are, we are by far not off the cuff, we make ourselves sound way smarter than we actually are because we cut out all <laughs> the stupid garbage we say constantly. We say a lot of dumb stuff. That we do. No joke. No, no joke. And a lot of jokes that don't land, you know? <laughs> just awful things. It's just like, eh, hey, we'll just sweep that under the rug. That didn't happen. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like if you don't do that, especially because you're on Twitch, like, why not? Why not? You know, and it, it, I don't know. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. So this is the first time I've experienced it with a role playing Kickstarter. So I'm, I'm just, I found it endlessly fascinating. I'm like actually watching Twitch, <laughs> which is rare for me typically. All right. Speaking of which, you know what he played recently on his channel, on his Twitch channel? What's that? Dune. Oh, it, I, I have a copy of it sitting right here. I picked it up on Friday. Sent you a picture. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So I have uh, read through the manual. I'm prepped and ready to go. I'm anticipating the deep dive we're going to have on it, so that's why I was watching his crew play it. We are, but it's I not w- a game you can play with everybody. Uh, it, it's going to take a very specific group. I uh, yes, I could see that. I, because I, I know, I know some of my friends. If I was to play it with them, they wouldn't understand when I completely betrayed them and stabbed them. Yes, you know, he Spice said something interesting in his in his stream about that. He said. Um, that he's never seen a board game that is more thematically tied to its source material it's amazing. Than, than, than this game. And he said, somebody asked him, is this game going to spoil the book Dune for me if I play it? And he's like, I think so. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Because I've looked through the material in the game pretty extensively. And, and with the exception of maybe the Gears of War board game... I can't think of another game that is so very, very closely wrapped up in its source material to to the point where one cannot exist without the other. 
Matt Coville, Kingdoms and Warfare. Uh, check it out on Kickstarter. It's uh, it's already funded. It's going to be... Uh, I like Strongholds and Followers. This is the companion book. It's going to have um, uh, the, the battle system, which I said in, in our review of it, that was very basic. They're going to flesh it out quite a bit and make it a little bit more crunchy, which if that's your thing, that's great. And if you don't need it, then you don't need it. Who cares? And then um, they're going to have kingdom rules. And uh, you can use the same rules for like organizations and like thieves guilds and whatnot. But yeah, it's going to be kind of that. And uh, yeah, sounds fun. I, I, I didn't even watch the video. I saw that it popped up and I'm like, I'm going to get that. The first book was that good. I'm just like, yep, done. <laughs> didn't even have to look too hard. Like, done. Getting that. All right, Jonathan, close us out with this last bit of news that is so mammoth and massive well, that we, you have we requested to put it. it at the end. We talked okay. about it previously. Uh, do you remember when we covered Popular Mechanics uh, publishing their 50, 50 best new board games? Vaguely? Yes. Well, they've updated their list for 2019. Mm. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to shoot through a bunch of them here. Just kind of the stuff that catches my eye. Nemesis, which I uh, missed out on the Kickstarter. I've been kicking myself ever since. Think of it as uh, Aliens the Board Game. Okay. Uh, and this is on there. Um, they call it the most cinematic, immersive game they've ever played. Uh, Wingspan and Root, which have been getting so much love. Game of Thrones uh, board game, but with the new Mother of Dragons expansion that just came out this year. And I have that expansion. I have not played with it yet. I really, really, really want to. Rising Sun, hot on my shelf. Love me some Rising Sun. That's such a good game. Monolith Arena and Jaws. I've got both of those on the shelf. Uh, Secret Hitler, which I think I've played more than any other game in the last three years. Gloomhaven. Friend of the show, Ray, loves that game. I know. I really want to play it, too, but I don't have a, I don't have a group to play it. That's the problem. I guess I could yeah. play it single player, but I don't know. No. Uh, let's see. Chronicles of Crime. I think we've we've talked about that on the podcast a little. Vindication, which I've heard very good things about. Western Legends, getting a lot of love out there. Everdell. Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Scythe. I mean, like, that that says a lot that it's it's on this list still. You know, the only one that I'm going through the list right now, and the only one that has jumped out at me of, of like, oh, I want to play that. Uh, Betrayal Legacy is on this, on this list. And if it's on this list, I'm like, oh, I need to play that more now. Yeah, it does look good. <laughs> photosynthesis is on there i could see that yeah it's it's such a clever 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 game santorini too for that matter star wars rebellion my favorite star wars game of all time anachrony from the guys that did uh, cerebria seventh continent clans of caledonia Gaia project that is uh the terra mystica basically terra mystica version two uh in space in space in space I've never heard anybody say something bad about Gaia Project. I, I've got it on my short list for sure. So there you go. Go check out the list on Popular Mechanics. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on, on what they put up there. They're, they're, they're in no particular order. It is important to point that out. They are just saying these are the 50 that we would pick. No minis games on there, which I thought was interesting. That brings us to the end of our news. It is now, of course, time for our Year in the Life segment, where, Robert, we look back a year to what we were talking about before. And uh, yeah, I can't, uh, cannot disagree with the title of the episode we're going to be talking about today. Forgot My Dice, episode 50, two freaking studs on a website. We deep dive nothing. We did our 50th episode AMA. Uh, I can't wait for episode 100. I gotta say, okay, so this is 74. That was episode 50. It means we've done 24 episodes in the last year and we're bi-weekly, which means we only missed two. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Not and one bad. of them is uh, around Christmas time because Christmas time is very difficult to get time away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, actually, uh, we're supposed to record our 
we would normally record episode 77, I want to say, on not Christmas Eve, but Christmas Eve Eve, which I don't think is happening because I'm going to be driving up to the grandparents that day. So, oh, yeah, yes. that would probably be a good day for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can do it in the car. Just children shrieking on the whole way, wow! peeing on themselves. My yeah, be good times. But yeah, yeah, 20, 20, yeah, we did 24 episodes. And I remember really liking the AMA. I have not listened to it yet. I, I sometimes I go back and listen to them and sometimes I don't. I listen to the AMA a ton. I remember I haven't had like much of a desire because I remember like, oh, not that episode. I again. mean, part I of listen- me wants to do another one right now, but I really want to wait to 100 because that gives us nice separation and there'll be lots of new questions. Yeah, well, and it, it won't be until like next year. I think I mathed it out. If we if we keep on track for this, we should have it around more like mid to late November next year. Hmm. So. All right. All right. There you go. There you go. There you go. It was my goal. It was my goal this year God, to do one every week. We creeping up on 100. That's really creepy. Yeah, yeah. Never yeah. would have thought. Triple digits. All right. Well, let's, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, true that, true that. All right. Well, it's time for another quick break. And when we return, we will be going boldly where no one has gone before when we deep dive Star Trek Ascendancy. Now, I've wanted to talk about this game for so long, Robert. I know. I'm surprised we haven't. I'll explain why when we come back. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up at one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain, set the Lamont configuration to full hell mode. Oddly, you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio. Wait, what? I have such sights to show you, Jonathan. Ah, I need to take your Netflix account away from you. Welcome back to the show. It is now time for us to go into our deep dive. And in this episode, we will be deep diving one of the finest, if not the finest, 4X experiences I have ever had. And I love me some 4X games. Robert, kick it off. Boldly go where no one has gone before. In Star Trek Ascendancy, a board game of exploration, expansion, and conflict, you control the great civilizations of the galaxy, striking out from your home worlds to expand your influence and grow your civilization. Will you journey for peace and exploration, or will you travel the path of conquest and exploitation? Command starships, establish space lanes, construct star bases, and bring other systems under your banner. With more than 200 plastic miniatures and 30 star systems representing some of Star Trek Galaxy's most notable planets and locations, Star Trek Ascendancy puts the fate of the galaxy in your hands. All right, I, I want to start this deep dive off by saying one thing, Robert, and that is that we we will be covering the rules from a very 50,000-foot view because, as with any 4X game, there's, there's, there's a lot of intricacies that we could go into and, and, and jump into. So what we're going to do is look at the rough structure of what everybody goes through and and basically how the different uh, different portions of the game work without going into too much unnecessary detail for uh, from a review perspective. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Because this is a big game. This is a deep game. And we could probably dedicate an entire podcast start to finish talking about nothing but this game. Let me ask you a question before we get going. How many times have you actually played this game at this point? 
Uh, I've played it three times in the past year. And there's a reason for that. And this is this is why it took so long to get to to a deep dive on the show. To play this game, you need a, a very good-sized, dedicated time block. It's not something you can just throw out on the table. You're talking about a three- to four-hour block minimum. Well, yeah, it's, it's a 4X game like the Twilight Imperiums and... Yes, absolutely. And because of that, when you when you decide to play this game, you have to do it ahead of time. You can't just throw it out on the table and hope for the best. And you've got to get people involved that are uh, they, that understand what you're doing. Before we get too much more into that, uh, let's give a, a 50,000 foot view of the rules. How does it go? We're, we're kind of going to start at the beginning and, and talk a little bit about setup because setup is, is an important thing that is going to give you a little bit of context as to how the rest of the game goes. You're going to pick a species. That's, that's the first thing. Most of the species are not like the Federation where there's lots of different species in it. It's it's either going to be uh, one faction or another. So if you choose the Klingons, you're all Klingons. If you choose the Romulans, you're all Romulans. Uh, if you choose Starfleet, you're going to be a little bit of everything. There's four additional races available via expansion. Okay. Uh, the Cardassians and the uh, Ferengi are already out on the market. And Andorians and Vulcans are coming very soon. Okay, okay. And then there's the Borg expansion, which is a whole campaign thing, and it, it changes the games around, game around. You can actually play it single player at that point, which is kind of neat, too. Hmm. Once you have chosen a race, uh, you're going to put together your playing area. Now, the races are where things are very interesting, because that's where a lot of the asymmetry happens. The races have some very unique uh, aspects that are um, going to be different for everyone, and they're going to have different values uh, that they start out with for shields, uh, their ability to do damage and hits, and some of their uh, secondary powers that are, are unique to their race. For instance, Klingons have a rule called death before dishonor, and for a Klingon, you may never retreat or surrender a planet. You have to fight it out to the end. Uh, Klingons are also ever victorious. You take one culture when you defeat three or more ships in a battle because that increases your culture, which is a, a very thematic, which is very cool. <laughs> if we compare that to the Federation, the Federation has the prime directive. The Federation may never invade planets or colonize pre-warp inhabited uh, systems. And that, again, very thematic. They also have something called Explore Strange New Worlds. You take one culture when you draw a civilization exploration card or discover a new phenomenon. And are you starting to see how this all ties into the themes of Star Trek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is one thing that you will find in the entirety of this game. This game was obviously designed not just by really good game designers, but by game designers who are also Trekkies. And they understand the property. And I can say that about every aspect of this game. It's not like playing, uh, shoot, what was that RTS that I used to play obsessively, even though it was very not Star Trek? Uh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. The, yeah, that one. Yeah. 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 The first thing you do is you get a command console, and the command console has some sliders on it that tell you what your offense and your, your, your shields uh, are set at. And these are not finite numbers. These can be altered in the course of the game by applying different um, upgrades to them. And that's going to be one of the major things that you find in Star Trek Ascendancy. The game is all about long-term vision and long-term upgrades to your um, your machine, basically. Um, you, everybody gets starting resources. There's three resources that you are going to be cultivating in the game. There's production, research, and culture. You are going to get a single Ascendancy token. And these Ascendancy tokens are very important because they're one of the game-winning uh, hooks that you're trying to earn. Uh, for instance, one of the 
one of the uh, victory conditions for the game is to have five of these. So you start out with one. Uh, you have command tokens, and these tokens are placed, and they flip upside down. They say command on one side and exhausted on the other, and basically it just tells you how many uh, commands you can issue during a given turn. You have an advancement deck, and each civilization has their uh, own advancement deck, and everybody gets a completed advancement to start out. It's the starting advancement. Uh, for instance, the Klingons have an advancement when they start called Disruptor Technology. Your rolls to hit of six always score a hit regardless of the rival's shield modifier. And over the course of the game, again, because you're going to be doing a lot of research to better yourself, one of the things that you're going to be doing is, is getting additional advancements and applying them to your, um, your empire. Everybody gets a home system. Now, the planets in this game are kind of interesting because the planets all have spots where you can build things on them. And those spots are going to be one of three colors. Uh, and you're going to see the colors are yellow, blue, and red. Yellow is culture. So by, um, by building on that, you can, you can start to generate more culture every turn. Blue is research, meaning that you can build a research station, allowing you to generate more research every turn. And red is production, meaning that you can uh, produce more, um, basically, of that particular resource. Your home system will be fully developed, meaning that you will have all three of those potential building areas already built up, producing resources for you. And that's how you start with your home system fully built up. You're also going to start with three ships, and they're going to be in orbit of your home system. And that's, that's everybody. Everybody's getting these things. You're going to have a supply of ships. You're going to have a supply of control nodes, and you're going to have a supply of starbase tokens. Uh, those are going to be off to the side because you're, you're not going to be able to access them right away. And um, you're also going to have an area where you have your fleet. And that fleet area is where you're going to display how many fleets you have, how they've been commissioned, and how many ships are in each specific fleet. So all these things are going to be laid out in front of you, uh, and that's going to be your basic layout when you first get started all make sense so far yeah yeah when you first lay out the game area it's just going to be blank it's going to be empty and you're each going to put your home system down roughly 18 inches apart from each other and the reason from that for that is that you've you've not yet made first contact nobody has reached out beyond their their home system yet as you start to explore space in every turn you're going to be flipping over system discs as you start to go out into space and explore, you're going to start to lay down what are called warp lanes, and they're, they're different lengths. And as you get to the end of those warp lanes, you're going to discover new things. You could be discovering an interstellar phenomenon. You could be discovering new planets. Those planets might be developed or undeveloped. And they're all going to be um, basically ripe for the picking. And they're also going to come with three spaces that you can uh, later build on. And when you build on them, that's how you generate more resources per turn. You need to build up your empire. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, the first couple turns of the game, when nobody's reached out and met each other, they go a little quicker than the rest of the game because you don't have to worry about combat. You don't have to worry about any of the uh, other stuff. You're just slowly building out as you explore. One of the neatest things about this game is that every time you build out the map, it's going to be a different shape. Things are going to be different distances from each other, and sometimes some empires might have a, a slight resource advantage, but the, the way the resources are laid out on the cards is a pretty good idea. It's, a, it, it's pretty easy to see that everybody will have a chance at some resources, and you know what? Frankly, if there's a resource you need and you don't have it readily available, go take over the planet. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. 
There are a couple different ways that you can win the game. We already talked about the Ascendancy victory where you uh, have five of those Ascendancy tokens. You can get a Supreme victory uh, if one player controls all three home systems, then that player has dominated the galaxy and wins the game. Uh, You can have ties. If two players have achieved victory through Ascendancy or Supremacy, uh, a player who controls the most systems wins. And if it's still a tie, then both civilizations have risen to greatness and players share the victory. Now, there's an interesting note in the instruction book, Robert, and and this is one that I think is important for all 4X games, and I wish they would put that on. Star Trek Ascendancy is a competitive game with every player trying to dominate, destroy, and absorb their rivals. Don't pull out your bat left when somebody invades your homeworld. It's all in the spirit of the game. Similarly, if your civilization is running roughshod over the galaxy, try to maintain Picard-level aplomb as you become the ascendant power in the galaxy. But you know what? How many times have we heard of 4X games basically ruining relationships? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's very, so very I'm, true. I'm happy to see them put in there because it's 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 needed. It's a nice, good reminder. It's basically, it's cute that it's an in, in-character way of saying uh, uh, be a good winner or be a good loser, but also be a good winner. Exactly. Let's talk about the different ways that the game functions. Um, one of the things to keep in mind is that every society will have trade agreements uh, that they can give out to other players. You can't directly trade resources with other players, but you can, however, create a trade agreement between civilizations, meaning that every round that civilization will be able to produce more of whatever resources in the trade agreement. And you, you represent this by handing them a card that shows them it's a trade agreement with your civilization and what they get. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Now uh, to do that, you have to have run into the other civilization. You have to have made first contact. And that is all handled uh, in the process of the game. And we're going to talk about movement and establishing uh, new planets here real soon. So it basically breaks down into three stages. There's the initiative stage where you spend your resources and your influence to, to basically influence the politics of the galaxy. You can seize the initiative of the game round at this time. Uh, and your spending resources. Uh, There's the execution stage where you're going to be building up your civilization, you're going to be researching projects, you're going to be upgrading your your fleets, you're going to be issuing commands to your ships, and uh, you're also going to be uh, able to do what's called spending culture, which lets you get ascendancy tokens. And finally, there's the recharge stage where everybody checks for victory, you get to generate your resources, refresh your cards, your orders, your tokens... Um, and you can add warp tokens to ships at warp, which we'll talk about a little more in just a moment. Pretty simple structure from 50,000 feet, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, in the initiative stage, the first thing to keep in mind is that at any, uh, every round of the game, once first contact has been made, you will have the opportunity to bid resources, and these resources leave the game. They don't go to another player. They, they leave the game uh, as soon as the um, auction happens, and you're basically auctioning for position uh, in the game round. So are you going to go first? Are you going to go second? Are you going to go third? Are you going to go fourth? And that's what you're trying to determine with the auction, which I love. I think that's really neat. Uh, do you want to spend your resources on building yourself better? Or do you? is it really important that you go first this time? And how are you doing it? Well, you're dedicating resources to influence politics. That sounds like real life. Now, once the turn order is established, you're going to go into the executing uh, execution stage. And the first thing is the building phase. And this is where you get a chance to build stuff. 
you get to spend resources to develop your civilization. You get to research advancements and you get to upgrade your weapons and shields. And you can do these in any order. For instance, you can spend one production resources uh, to build a starship and you're going to build it back at Earth if you're the Federation, for instance, or your homeworld in general. You can build a production node on another planet, but that's going to cost you two production resources. You can build a research node on a planet, but that's going to cost you two research and a production. You can build a culture node on a planet, but that's going to cost you two culture tokens and a production token. And what's particularly interesting about that is that you're spending the tokens that you need to purchase ascendancy tokens with. So you're actually taking a step back to take a step forward, which I like. That's neat. Uh, Finally, you can spend a culture token and a ship to colonize a new system. All pretty straightforward, right? Sorry, my voice is going. Yes, yes it is. You can also commit your research um, and your production tokens to do things like build advancements and um, basically get yourself additional rules. And that's one of those is what you start out with, right? You start out with one advancement. And so you can start to build these out and get yourself lots of additional rules. Like, uh, for instance, in the the Klingons had the opportunity of doing combat transporters. When invading a planet, you may reroll any of your failed to hit rolls in the first round of combat. One of the things you can do is you can upgrade your weapons and shields, and this is fleet-wide. It takes a lot of resources to do this, but your shields can be upgraded pretty heftily, and that can make a big difference when you do get into combat. Once you've done all this, you go into your command uh, phase, and in your command phase, you're going to have the chance to move your ships and fleets, you're going to be able to do space battles, you're going to be able to invade a planet, you can attempt cultural hegemony, which is exactly as it sounds, taking over an area with pure culture, Uh, You can commission fleets, you can commission star bases, you can launch new advancement projects, and you can activate all your special rules. Now, within the movement is where you start to see the the dropping of space lanes, warp lanes, and the uh, revealing of interplanetary phenomenon and brand new planets. So, when you enter warp, that's a command. That's one of those command tokens we talked about. You're going to flip that sucker over, you're going to enter warp, and you are going to um, place a warp token next to your ship pointing to the sector from which you entered warp. And you are going to grab a warp lane and slap it down on the play surface. And you're going to travel through that. And when you hit the end of it is when you exit warp and drop down a brand new planet. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, when you spend a warp token, you get to go all the way to the end of the warp lane basically reveal a new section of the map there's going to come a point where you might travel into a hazardous system and if you do that's that's marked in a very specific way and that'll involve a test and you're probably going to want to make sure that you have upgraded shields to pass that test this is one of the the reasons why it is so very important to upgrade stuff one of the neat ways that they control the size of the board is that each system you link to will have a maximum number of warp lanes that can come off of it so that means that there's 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 always going to be control over how much you can build off of any given planet. But the neat thing is you can place those warp lanes going any direction you want, uh, meaning that every time you play, it's going to be a very, very different playing surface. Yeah, I saw that in the pictures on Board Game Geek. Like the, the tables get very interesting. Some yes. of them have like a lot of dead ends and some of them don't. And it, it looks kind of neat that way. Now, one of the things that you can do when you're out exploring new planets is you'll have the opportunity to get exploration cards. And the exploration cards, they're particularly neat because they're all taken straight from the shows. And they've all got pictures from the different shows showing, uh, showing those, those 
events. So, like, you could run into a neutronic wavefront. <laughs> okay. Or you could have to negotiate with the children of Tama. And these are all straight out of the different shows. And some of the civilizations are pre-warp. And those are important because not all of the cultures can interact with pre-warp civilizations. Again, this is all so, so thematic. Now, eventually you're going to come, you're going to start to run into each other. And when you do, you're also probably going to end up start entering into some combat. And this is especially important to know your race. Because, for instance, the Klingons, combat is a very important part of their life. And if you shy away from combat, you're not going to be successful as the Klingon race. Versus the Federation, who naturally want to shy away from combat and are most successful when they're not doing a lot of combat. It's an interesting thematic callback to the original material. Basically, combat boils down to dice rolls versus your current stats. So remember I told you you can upgrade your weapons and shields? Upgrading your weapons makes it easier to get a hit on a roll. Upgrading your shields uh, basically negates those hits. Easy enough. Yeah. Now there's some a lot of minutiae rules that let you attack from multiple sectors, let you um, you know smash your fleets together for, for a larger, larger effect and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but we won't get into those here. Another thing you can do is a planetary invasion. That's where your ships enter orbit around a planet and you're basically going to try and take that sucker over. And that's important because it lets you potentially get a bunch of resources that you would not normally have access to and not have to pay the cost to build those upgrades. And finally, there's that cultural hegemony we talked about. And that's when your ships are occupying a developed sector that you don't control and you have the opportunity to take that over through, uh, through culture uh, rather than violence. And if you are successful with that check, then they join your particular um, empire and you get all those resources without having to expend any any military power. Seems like the ballywick of the, the Federation. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. So, again, there's a lot of other rules that we could go into. We could talk about all the different ways that you can upgrade things. But the two things that I really want to point out are, A, nothing is too terribly difficult. It all makes sense. And B... My God, everything ties back to the theme. It's so, so thematic. How, how, how massive is this rule book anyway? Uh, it's not terrible. Okay. Not terrible at all. It is, hold on here, 28 pages with lots of pictures. Okay. And, or it's not, the, the rules aren't tough to learn. There's just a few of them. Okay. And uh, index, table of contents? Unfortunately, it has neither. But I will tell you this, in all, th- all the times that I've played this game, it's never really been it's not a game where you have to go back to the rule book to check a lot because all the rules really do make sense and there's a lot of reminders out in the game uh is there anything off in the rule book or in the execution of the game in general no the rule book's really straightforward um it's got a nice summary on the back so basically you'll flip your rule book over and leave it facing up and that's a, a really handy reminder of what you're supposed to that uh, would explain why on board game geek there's so many uh rules sheet condensed things because they probably just copied that or iterated off of it (laughs) yeah yeah um i I mean i'm not gonna say i wouldn't have liked a one pager in the game that would have been really nice but the rule book is more than adequate uh and it, it there weren't ever any times where i was sitting there scratching my head um just wondering what to do it's all in there okay anything off in the game in general no this game is so smooth and so refined and so thematic The only strike that I have against it is that it's hard to get out and play often just because of, A, the physical size, the the gameplay that it takes up, and B, just the time that it takes. 
a three-player game is probably going to take you three to four hours with experienced players. Speaking of that, uh, how many players have you played this game with? Uh, mostly with three. Uh, I've done two two games with three, but the last game I played was with five players, and it was a full day. Okay. So with those five players, how, how long did it take, just out of curiosity? Because I, I found in a lot of games, like adding a person in, you think it would add in like... It's like, oh, so three players takes three hours, no, so four it's, players it's, would it yeah. just take four, it's and it's not like, no. one hour by player for, per player or anything clever. No, no, it's, it, it it's, never is. It really, honestly, it's just going to depend on what happens in the game. Okay. that That's one of those variables. It took us about six and a half playing hours. We took about a 90-minute lunch break, so it took us all day. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, so, since you played it with five and three, uh, which way was better, do you think? Or is it just by the crowd, like... A couple things. Number one, your enjoyment of this game is going to come down to, A, whether or not you're a Star Trek fan, because this is a game for Star Trek fans, without a doubt. I mean, people that aren't Star Trek fans that like 4X games are really going to enjoy it because it's a really, really darn good 4X game. But if you're a Star Trek fan, you get so much more out of it. And two, it's it's going to depend on the, 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 the style of player that you have. That that warning, that reminder that I read you from the rule book is important. I played it with a bunch of people who are really good sports and they understand that what happens in the game is not what happens in real life. But I could also very easily see this turning into a fight between people. Okay. So was the five player game better or was it three or is it just very? The game in terms of quality does not suffer from having less players and it does not excel from having less players. It's a very different experience because the expansions also come with more worlds, and inherently your play area is going to grow. You need to have a huge amount of table space when you start getting into four, five, or six players. I mean, basically, there's nothing, there's no upper limit on players. You can have all of the races be represented. You can have all seven people, uh, players be in the game uh, and just do a really massive marathon game, and it would still work really, really well. It's just you're going to be dedicating a metric ton of time to that. And I think that's about it. So, Jonathan, is there any one last thing you would like to say about the game? 4X games are always tough to review because they're not easy to get out. They're not something you can dedicate a ton of plays to to, to really get good at it. One of the things that I love about this game is that by the end of your first play, you will have achieved a level of mastery that you can you can execute with a fair amount of competence. And then you'll just be refining with each additional play. This isn't like some other 4X games where it takes two or three massive plays just to get comfortable with it. You'll be comfortable about halfway through the first game because the complexity level of the rules is relatively light. Where the complexity in this game lies is in the politics and how you're expanding and and running into your neighbors. That's the neat thing about this game. And the fact that it, 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 it pays such reverence to its source material is just a huge bonus. It, this is a game for Star Trek fans and should be on every Star Trek fan's board game shelf. I have one, possibly more questions. I was looking on BoardGameGeek and it looks like all the Federation ships are Galaxy class. Are, are there variants or is it just everybody gets sort of like one type of ship because it's more no, abstract? No, no, it's, it, it's a little more abstract okay. in that respect. Okay. Huh. Um, you know, all the Federations are Galaxy class. All the Romulans are Warbirds. All the uh, Klingons are Warbirds too. Yeah. Okay. Question two. Do, yeah, the Klingons get battle. Groups. Do you get uh, question two? Do you get uh, uh, quantum or multiphasic tra- uh, torpedoes at any point during the game? 
That depends on whether you are developing them. Okay. Do the multiphasic torpedoes own the Borg? Because they should. <laughs> that is that is one expansion I have not yet played. Oh, the Borg one. Okay, okay. That makes sense. I have it, but I have not played it. Okay, okay. I can't think of anything else. I love this game, Robert, and I think you would too. The only downside that I can think of is just, it's a beast. It's a big, huge game. It's a big, huge experience. It tells a unique story every time. It's just, it's a story that needs so much time and attention to unfold that you're not going to be able to get it out regularly. That's the only negative thing I can say about it because I want to play this game more. That is Star Trek Ascendancy by Gale Force 9, available now and with three expansions to add to it and make your game lovely and more complex and the Borg and two more very, very soon, which are interesting choices because the Vulcans and the Andorians are both parts of the Federation, but I'm assuming they're going to be cribbing off of their appearances in Enterprise, which is interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting choice to to break up the Federation. Like You know who I would have loved? Certainly. The Dominion. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, the Jem'Hadar and all that. That'd been great. Although, you know, honestly, there's, there's there's no upper limit to what you could do with this game. You you could keep releasing expansion. That's true. That's true. I like the Vulcans. Andorians. Oh, no, I like the Andorians, too. But yeah, I'd love to have seen the Dominion. That'd have been fun. The, the, the asymmetry of the races is so well balanced, too. Like, I, I can't speak highly enough about this. I love this game. Well, that takes us where we've boldly never gone before, which means we now find ourselves at the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Episode 74 in the books, Robert. I know. You're looking forward to the next one. That's That starts the countdown. Yeah, I know. I really am excited about that. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. And Robert, that leaves us with only two final things to do. Number one, any final thoughts? So a couple of years ago, I bought pumpkin teeth from Spirit Halloween when it was uh, they were liquidating to get rid of all their Halloween stuff because I think it was like November 2nd. And uh, yeah, they're just plastic teeth. You're supposed to put them in your pumpkin to give your pumpkin teeth. I did that this year. I finally busted them out. I remembered I had them. And uh, yeah, pretty creepy. Creepy. Would recommend if, if you see them. <laughs> it's uh, it's horrifying. It's pure nightmare fuel. You're not on Facebook much anymore. You haven't seen a picture of that, have you? No. Somebody. Uh... Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Had to reach for my phone. I can fix that while we talk. Somebody sent me pictures of babies with full teeth, and it was creepy. <laughs> I've seen those. There's a whole there's a whole Twitter account dedicated to that. I know, I know. It, it's it, it's definitely that babies should not have those things. This is just it, when you see it, you you realize just how much it's wrong. There you go. Tell me about them pumpkin teeth. Wow, that really is. <laughs> surprisingly unsettling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking about going in and uh, painting on some uh, primer on them and then uh, hitting them up with a little Newland oil. Maybe a little of uh, that blood paint from Games Workshop around the gum line just to give it a little bit more creep value. I like it. I might do that tonight. <laughs> Save pictures. I, I will. I will. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I showed that to you. Well, then there's only one left, last thing to do, Robert. Be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling like an episode title, Pumpkin Teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Sounds like a bad horror movie. Like someone's poor man's 
B movie of uh, Pumpkinhead or something. The real question is, does it have Ken from Street Fighter? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 